Hi, Tim. Hey, Ash. Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall, where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways that we can promote positive change in musical theater. If anyone out there has seen the podcast, the Broadway Podcast Network, check it out. It's this new website that really curates a lot of new podcasts and podcasts that are really specifically focused on theater, musical theater, and Broadway. But if anyone out there knows anybody on that team, we would love to be a part of that. Yes, please (laughs) check us out. I think we'd make a great addition to that website. Very well said, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you again for joining us. If you haven't already, please um, subscribe, hit those stars, and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you in the review box. But let's get started with today's episode. Okay. So... As part of our news, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the revival of the unsinkable Molly Brown. And Tim, you forgot your favorite part of the episode. What? What puzzler do you have for us this week? (laughs) That was my whole preface. Oh. That was my whole preface. So I'm going to do a little, I'm giving you some context to set you up for our puzzler. I know we get a little wordy, but I I promise there's a point to this. I I totally, I support you. (laughs) I fully support you. Thank you. So the puzzler is... Who originated the role of Molly Brown on Broadway in Meredith Wilson's The Unsinkable Molly Brown? And here's an addendum. Who also played the title role in the 1964 film version? What was your, how are you going to start the question? Now I want to hear. Well, no, what I was going to say was, since we're going to be talking in, uh, briefly in the news about the revi- upcoming revival of Unsinkable Molly Brown. Well, off Broadway. Off Broadway, sorry. Uh, I thought I'd set us up with a really fun puzzler that would kind of lead into that. So there's the puzzler. And (laughs) let's circle back around at the end of this episode. It's almost the holidays. We're losing our minds. So many grading. We just finished the semester. (laughs) I've literally been, we both have been grading our tushes off this last 48 hours. So we're like, our headspace is in a little of a wonky place, but we're excited to be here. Shout out to all of you professors, teachers, educators at this time of the year. And shout out to all of you that are students or in rehearsals or hitting the the Christmas holiday show season line that are working their tails off too. Exactly, exactly. So uh, yeah, so let's circle back if that was coherent enough (laughs) of a puzzler. (laughs) Let's circle back at the end of this episode and we will discover those answers together. So what's in the news? If you haven't noticed it already or seen it anywhere online, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Tony award-winning musical In the Heights is coming to the big screen. And they just released the video. And what were your thoughts about that video, Tim? The trailer features some of my favorite Latinx performers. I am so excited. I already have loved this show from its conception, but now we get to see it on the big screen. And I am so excited to see what the creative team has done with the show, transferring it from the stage to the film. Uh, From the video, uh, Anthony Ramos looks fantastic in it. Uh, he also starred as Sonny in the original production, stage production of In the Heights, and now he's portraying the role of Usnavi in uh, the film. So I'm really excited. It's got a, a list of major, major Latinx film stars and stage stars alike, so uh, I'm really looking forward to, to its uh, premiere. My favorite part about the, the little video that they released, mm-hmm. there's that one point three quarters of the way through mm-hmm. that's, that's there's some statement that someone says we are seen or we we are not invisible yeah, and we're coming out of the shadows and yeah and we are not invisible and i was just <laughs> you started tearing up i did i did <laughs> so we're very much looking forward to seeing that 
Also, they just announced um, the Caroline or Change revival that is coming to Broadway from the West End production that's transferring. They announced some other cast members that are going to be a part of that. Who are they announcing that's going to be a part of that uh, production on Broadway, Tim? Okay, so uh, we have a couple uh, major announcements. So, of course, we know Sharon D. Clark is going to be coming back to reprise her Olivier-winning performance as Caroline. But some of the newly announced cast members include the amazing Casey Levy, who's going to be starring as Rose Stopnik-Gelman, John Cariani uh, as Stuart Gelman, Tamika Lawrence as Dottie Moffat, and Chip Zion as Mr. Stopnik. Uh, and there's a there's a slew of other cast members that have been announced, but this is a really is turning out to be a really exciting lineup of of talented seasoned Broadway performers. Also, there you you spoke about this at the beginning, but there is an announcement for the unsinkable Molly Brown not coming to Broadway yet. Correct. Off Broadway. Off Broadway. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that musical? Sure. Yeah. So just to give you a little context, the journey of this, uh, what what I want to call this revised revival uh, production of Unsinkable Molly Brown, uh, it started going into readings and workshops in 2009 at the Denver Center Theater for the Arts. And uh, it started just with Dick Scanlon going back to the book and the text and basically taking it and just rebuilding it, revising it, making it work for a more contemporary audience. And uh, I've been watching interviews with Beth Malone talking about this, and she said there's essentially three lines of dialogue that still remain from the original production. And that was when they did it at the Muni a few years back. Yes, correct. Right. And so it's since then gone through a tremendous amount of evolutions. And in 2009, it did its, re- its uh, workshop reading. And then 2014, it got a fully staged production where Beth Malone joined the cast. And since then, it's continued to go through a series of evolutions and workshops. And now it's finally coming to Off-Broadway, directed by the amazing Kathleen Marshall. Yes. I feel like they did this production with Beth a few years ago as well down in San Diego at San Diego Musical Theater. Oh, I don't know. They may have. I'll have to look that up. What makes me really excited about this musical is that having a musical about a female is, of course, always exciting. But a musical about a female that is a a female that is strong, independent, Mm -hmm. outspoken, fierce who can tell people what she really thinks and feels and doesn't care what the response is and based on a, a real person, which is something that Beth has done a couple of times, you know, with Fun Home. So I got to thinking over the last uh, week, um, we recently closed our production of Bright Star at Fullerton College and it was received really well and I uh, really loved the process and I think the students grew a tremendous amount as performers. And there was a lot of different kind of reactions from the show and I think this was these reactions uh, served as a great starting point for us to engage in a conversation. Um, so when I discussed the show, uh, once my students had turned in all their theater critiques, like they always do, we started talking about how they liked the show and what they thought, things that you know uh, worked, things that didn't work, etc. And it was interesting because there was two ideologies that were going on in the room about uh, casting people of color, because I brought that up and I said, you know, what was your thought? Did did you see that as something that worked for the show or, uh, or etc.? And, and that's because you had a a female that played the role of Alice that was a person of color. But we had a tremendous amount of people of color in this show, both from Latinx descent, 
uh, and uh, from the African-American community. It was a highly diverse production, and that was one of the things I really, obviously, were very passionate about that. And so I wanted right. to bring that to this production, which has a history of being cast as traditionally all Caucasian. And so many of the students asked me a question. They said, um, they wondered what my thought process was in making that cognitive choice to choose uh, select actors of color in this production in a show that one historically has a tradition of being cast all white, but also where the context of the show is set in the 1920s and the 1940s in the South. And of course, if you know the history of the South in the 1920s and 40s, uh, segregation, uh, this precedes segregation. This is still a very much Jim Crow South. Yes. But there is nowhere in the play that dictates that race is a factor. It's not, it's not a, um, other than the location and the time frames, there is no text in the play that says, you know, you are of this color, this is an issue for me, where racism or segregation is ever brought up as a topic. Well, not, not, there are no themes in this musical correct. that is specific to race or, or any form of race. It's not prominent Correct. in the story. And, and, and I, I didn't want to present it in that light in any way, shape, or form. Even though I was casting a, a diverse cast, I wanted to make sure that the cast knew that the message and the themes of the story are what we're focusing our energy on. Well, the 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 audience that had seen it, my students that had watched the show, they had asked me, they said they had a hard time separating the time period and the location from uh, from the the nature the diverse nature of your casting of my casting mm-hmm. and I thought that was an interesting point at first I got kind of offended and upset and thought to myself are they choosing to make race an issue in this particular production mm-hmm. but then I thought okay let's open up and have a larger conversation about this and I said in 2019 are we at a place yet where we can as audience members desensitize ourselves to the the preconceived notions of what an actor the history of an actor of color in the theatrical experience is. And some actors said yes, and some, uh, not actors, sorry, some audience members said yes, and some of my students said no, we, we would, if it were a, a truly authentic experience, then, you know, actors of color would struggle in the 20s and 40s in the South. And they were frustrated that I didn't bring that up as an issue in the play. So my question for you uh, is, how do we change the public perception of how actors are viewed based on their physical appearance? especially when it has to do with a historical time period that maybe is counter to the experience of actors of color. This is something that I feel is extremely challenging. And this is why I love the conversation that we're having right now. Mm -hmm. We have, as theater artists and as audience members, we have the terrible, um, I shouldn't say terrible, but we have this habit where the first thing we see is the person's appearance. Exactly. What is the color of their skin? What shape are they? What size are they? How tall are they? How short are they? How do they move? How do they walk? Do they have some type of personality that comes across in the way they move? And to take it a step further, the cultural assumptions that we have of people of color. Absolutely. We look at somebody and we immediately quote, which I hate this word, and we don't utilize it very Mm -hmm. often, but we type them. Right. Right. If we see a person that is curvy or a plus-sized person or a person of different size, then they immediately think that's the sidekick. Mm -hmm. If we see someone that is tall and thin and they think that's the leading female and they're white, this is taught to us. Yeah. Just like uh, Rogers and Hammerstein say, you have to be Be carefully carefully taught. taught. You know, and that that statement is so true is that we're not born into a world of racism. We are taught 
through time, through conditioning, uh, by a number of factors, environmental, how we're brought up by our, by our family, to believe the things we believe and make the assumptions about people of color that we make, both culturally and physically. And so to come back to the question, how do we solve this problem? How do we start changing public perception about what is, quote unquote, normal in Ugh. certain roles through a historical lens? And I thought about this and I wanted to ask you, I believe as a director, we are presenting when it comes to realism mm -hmm. in theater, if you can call musical theater realism in any way, shape or form, <laughs> aren't we presenting an illusion of realism? Yes. Okay. There's the word illusion of realism. Mm -hmm. Yes. Time, location, environment should all feel familiar, especially from someone in the case of Bright Star from Asheville or Zebulon or Hayes Creek, uh, North Carolina. But it is still an illusion of reality. And in that illusion of reality, don't we, isn't there the creative space to, to change the conversation about how people can be viewed in that historical time period, in that location? Yes. And it's the same thing when somebody brings this conversation up, the, my first positive response <laughs> is, well, then how do we explain Hamilton? Correct. Nobody says anything about that, mm -hmm. but someone's going to say something about George Washington being a person of color or Alexander. Mm -hmm. uh, and what's funny is that, and I think Lin-Manuel has done so well of describing eloquently, you know, his vision for that show and why people of color are cast in the way they are. Absolutely. Um, and I think that show has done such a great job of starting to open up that conversation about yes. changing the nature of how we see color through historical lens of musicals. Yes. And this is where I, this is what we have to do from this point on is make it where we are casting people not to say because that's what that's what um they had to do that's what he did with hamilton mm -hmm. i want to make a big statement mm -hmm. most of the cast is not caucasian because mm -hmm. we're we're making a, a big statement here but now we have to start creating that and incorporating that into our productions on a regional a community theater a college level a broadway level an off-broadway level that we continue that with the idea of we are giving a story and the story is more important than a person's appearance unless of course we're talking about like carolina change correct the leading or, actress has to be a, a, a person of color a black person or a show like ragtime where you know not only the historical perspective is there but also the cultural context that's discussed about racism and race, it, that, that conversation is being had in the show. So obviously it's important that uh, certain people of color are represented in certain lights in that show. Yes. And I just want to correct myself. I yeah. literally caught myself. I just said a black person. And I, I really want to try to say a person that is of color or a mm -hmm. person that is from the black community instead of identifying them. Using with... person first language. Correct. Thank you. We're, we <laughs> all, it's a, it's a, we all so, are learning. So I just want to, I just want to say that, um, Look at the script first, obviously, as a director, as a as an artistic director, or whoever's conceiving of des or desi deciding to pr produce a production, say like Bright Star. You have to ask yourself by looking at the script: Is race an issue, or not even an issue? Sorry, is race a conversation in this show? Yes. And if not, the the floodgates should be wide open. Mm -hmm. Then you should say, okay, you know, we are looking from for performers from all walks of life uh, to come and audition for this production. And I think the conversation also needs to be open to not just persons of color, mm -hmm. but also persons of all shapes, sizes, Gen gender, gender identities. identities, that that not need, I don't want to be judged when I walk in a room based upon how I appear. Mm -hmm. And that is how we look at people, but we have to change that. Like I am a very petite, small framed 
female. Mm-hmm. And that is just who I am. I am never going to be the the person on stage that is the actress that is larger than life because I am, a, <laughs> my frame is tiny and, and I'm only five, five. So mm-hmm. I'm not super tall. And I often get looked at as someone that is always going to be that small petite person. Uh-huh. And I'm doing fun home. I'm starting rehearsals yesterday actually for fun home again. And this is a conversation we were just having about Beth Malone. Right. So she's playing the unsink, uh, playing Molly Brown and the unsinkable Molly Brown. And immediately when you think of that musical and you think of that role, you think of somebody that a female that is going to be look like what appearance wise. I mean, I, I guess I don't know because I'm trying, I, I try so hard to move away from that idea, but that is true. And that's what we're know. trying to do. But immediately I think of someone that I'm like, oh, she must be bigger and stout and like a hearty woman. And, oh, okay. I see what you're right? saying. Yeah. And that and that's not Beth either. She's very small and petite as well, but spunky and mm-hmm. and her I'm, personality yes. is big. Yes, and so I really I'm really excited that this production is not a a stereotypical Molly Brown, right? Which it wasn't really originally, but oftentimes it gets the character of Molly Brown is written that way, mm-hmm. which many musicals are as well. Yeah. Like Carousel, the leading uh, Billy Bigelow in Carousel. Mm-hmm. It's like he must be a big strapping, you know, man that can take well, on the another, women. There's another perfect example, the most recent revival of Carousel starring Joshua Henry. Uh, here's a person of color portraying uh, Billy Bigelow. And when we saw it, I, I thought he was spectacular on the show. But not once did I look at him and go, hmm, that's interesting. You know, the color of his skin. How does that affect, you know, the time period uh, in, you know, New England at this time mm-hmm. period? You know, how would they treat black? I wasn't go- having that conversation in my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's probably because I've been working so hard uh, as an artist to mental... change that perception, right? But how do we get our audience members alike to change their perception of color in a musical? Uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, cast people yes, that there it are is. <laughs> of color, size, shape, gender identity, texture, flav- right. flavor. When we start to make that a new norm, that's when it will be a norm on Broadway and it'll become a norm in society. Yes. You and know? that is the only way that it's going to change people's minds is we start to change what people see on stage and have the conversation that we're having right now right, in a positive way. Yeah. And and so, yeah, there was that part of the conversation. And then there was another side of the conversation. I want to talk about this really briefly because I thought it was so interesting. Yeah. So there were students that got the idea that, you know, we're not making that I wasn't choosing to make race a factor in Bright Star. Mm -hmm. But they said because of how they saw the cast, their assumptions led them to it led them to further think about race as a factor in the show without me pushing it upon them. Interesting. So they said, okay, we're looking at an Alice Murphy who's going all this, through all these trials and tribulations throughout the course of the show. Mm-hmm. They're approaching it as a woman of color going oh. through these trials and tribulations. And I didn't press that upon them. They naturally made that assessment for themselves. And I thought that was a really interesting conversation because, and I asked them, I said, did that further enhance the stakes, the emotional journey, the stakes of the character of Alice Murphy? And they said, yes. They said they were already bringing cultural context of what it was to be black in the South uh, during the 20s and 40s and subconsciously applying that to the character of Alice Murphy. And so it's a, it's an interesting, you know, it's a really interesting dialogue to have about shows like like Bright Star or any shows that any show really. are traditionally cast, you know. My, yeah. my other thought, I, I think it's exciting that they were able to see through her lens as who she is as mm-hmm. a human being. But again... We're talking about her as a person 
of color versus her just being a person on stage. That's right. So I, I think whatever someone can take out of a musical and, and change their perception or learn something new or be open to something, I think that's like, amazing and that's exciting or how they can connect mm -hmm. to a musical. But starting to have the conversation of we cannot base a person and what role they play regarding their size, their color, exactly. their flavor, their texture, their identity, their gender identity, that it needs to be on a different level. Absolutely. Several of my cast members asked me this question. Are we going to talk about the race uh, aspect of the show, the racial aspects of the show? And I said, well, then we have to talk about it with every single cast member because 90% of this cast is diverse. And so mm -hmm. I think we have to throw that it, with, with this concept that I had, I had to throw that idea out because then I would be mar like trying to marginalize 90% of my cast in the show. Well, and think about this for a second. Nobody ever asks me about being a white person. I wonder, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Flip this side of the coin for a second. That's right. No one ever says that. That's a, that's a white person on stage. No one says exactly. That. I mean, now I go, there's a lot of white people on the stage, but uh -huh. I don't think, ah, oh, that's a white person playing that role. It just, we've got to talk about them from a historical context. And let's talk about, you know, the plight of being white. We exactly. don't address that. So why do we, why do we have to make that assumption about people of color? Exactly. Unless the story's about that, of course. Anywho, we've said that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, should we, uh, should we come back to our puzzler? Yes, please. All right. So the question was, who originated the role of Molly Brown on Broadway in Meredith Wilson's The Unsinkable Molly Brown? And also, who played the title role in the 1964 film version? So I'm looking for two names. And the first name is? Tammy Grimes. Ooh, and she won a Tony for this. That's right. She actually won the Tony for playing the role of Molly Brown. She won uh, Best Featured Actress in a Musical. And then in 1964, there was a film version starring the amazing Debbie Reynolds. The late Debbie Reynolds. Yes. Oh, I love her. She's so spunky, and she was a she was a feisty woman. Little she was, feisty and she woman was, too. She small. was. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, both Tammy Grimes and Debbie Reynolds both portrayed the role and made uh, their own uh, magic out of that character. Hopefully, we'll see this eventually on the Broadway. But we're seeing it off Broadway. Maybe we'll try to catch it when it's the, when we're there next. Let's let Beth take us out today, then. Yeah. So. Uh, so we're going to listen to a little clip of Beth Malone talking about her process working on this powerful, powerful uh, character of Molly Brown. And we're going to leave that with you today and have a wonderful week, everyone. Um, you know, a really interesting woman at the center of this that is who was way ahead of her time. She's like, yes, yes, we want social reform, but we want to remember that we're all under God's grace and we're all brothers and sisters and let's not forget do unto others as you'd have others do unto you.